All right, what is going on, guys? No midweek show this week because of the holiday. I really appreciate you guys joining me for a loaded ACC basketball report. It is Sunday, November 25th. God, this is the end of November already. I uh, hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. I did. I had a Friendsgiving. Um, it was great. Uh, between the five of us, I think we had cooked one turkey in our entire lives. So it actually came out very well. Uh, we had a very good time. I ate way too much food before dinner, so I did not get to enjoy the the actual Thanksgiving dinner part. But Stephanie was a great hostess, gave me a little to-go bag. I enjoyed it at about 4 o'clock the next morning because I was in bed by about quarter of 8 that evening and slept all night through. It was almost... It was almost too good. It was glorious. So, what I got for you today, I got the entire week in review. Okay? I know you guys love it. I know you love the rundown. We changed the... the, I say we. It's me. I don't know why I always say we. It's just me here. I changed the format a little bit. I'm no longer going by the days that the games were played and giving the rundown. I am now switched to going by the teams and the games that they played that week. And I just run down through all 15 teams in the ACC. I think it's better. I think it's less redundant. I think it doesn't end up with me saying the same thing twice about the same team. For instance, I will not continue to tell you two times on a show that Syracuse sucks on offense. I will only say it once when I am doing their weekly review. So, uh, at the end of the at the end of the podcast, I also brought on Kevin Sweeney, who runs College Basketball Central. He has a podcast with Brad Cavallero. He is also a participant. Actually, they're both. Uh, participant in the Rock and Top 25 poll that we do each week uh, with independents such as uh, Tony Patelis, Eric Haslam, Lucas Haskins, as well as many, many others. Um, Kevin is one of the most knowledgeable guys out there, and when it comes to Big Ten basketball, he is second to none. And, uh, you know, looking forward to having him for, you know, ACC and Big Ten challenges from now on. As, as well as any other thing of interest because Kevin is just dialed in. Um, at one point, I think he focused on mid-majors, but he's just he's a, a plethora of knowledge. Him and Patelis are absolutely insane as far as the stuff they keep track of. I only do 15 teams in the ACC, and I'm so fucking busy that it I, I just can't even imagine doing what these guys do. So... <clears throat> um, after the interview, that will be it for the se- that'll be it for this podcast. So when I click off of Kevin, that's going to be the end. Uh, one thing I did leave out of today's podcast that I forgot. I cannot believe I forgot this. Uh, five star forward Isaiah Stewart is actually on his official visit to Duke right now. So you know, for those of us that thought that maybe Duke recruiting was dead, you know, we already have they already have Wendell Moore, who's a five star. They have Boogie Ellis, who's a five star. They could potentially land Isaiah Stewart, who's a five star forward, as well as Vernon Carey, who's a five star center. So everybody who thought that Duke basketball and Duke recruiting was dead when Jeff Capel left town, we could be absolutely wrong. Duke could be reloading as we speak. I just wanted to let you guys know because I, for some reason, I left that off my notes. Uh, so me and Kevin get together at the end. We make some picks, talk ACC, talk Big Ten, who we like, who we don't like. And, uh, you know, I hope you guys enjoy. Again, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Don't forget to like, rate, review, share, retweet, and subscribe to the ACC BR podcast. For additional content, go to slapthesign.com for Notre Dame content. And all other recruiting news, as well as anything I find interesting, go to accbasketballreport.com. You can also find me on Facebook, ACC Basketball Report. I am on Twitter at pcone 36 I am Michael Hunter. This is the ACC Basketball Report.
This is the ACC Basketball Report. I am your host, as always, Michael Hunter. You can find me at pcone 36 on Twitter. Happy to be here on another beautiful Sunday morning. It's been a loaded feast week this week. Lots of games, lots of really good action. I'm really loving these. Um, the increase in the number of preseason tournaments, I say preseason, I guess they're just early season tournaments, um, really gives us... Uh, you know, a good way, you know, a lot of these teams aren't going to schedule home and homes um, on other teams' courts. So these neutral court games turn out to be, you know, give us great, fantastic matchups, which we saw this week. Um, both Virginia Tech, Florida State had really good games this week. Also, obviously, uh, Duke with its uh, <clears throat> with its game against Gonzaga, North Carolina with its game at Texas. I'm going to jump right into it today. A uh, little bit of recruiting news. Florida State adds a seven-footer in Naheem McLeod this week. So, you know, Monster University continues to pump out seven-foot guys. Uh, JMCK is a senior this year, so he's going to be gone. But, uh, you know, Leonard Hamilton, you know, he's already got uh, Balsa Kropivica coming in next year, who is 7'2", I believe. And now this Naheem McLeod, who's a three-star guy, kind of a project, but Leonard Hamilton has done very well with seven-foot projects in the past. Uh, some transfer news, Elijah Burns has transferred from Notre Dame. He lands at Siena. Uh, he is, he was a captain on this Notre Dame team. He recently had his best performance in a Notre Dame uniform with 15 and five. And, you know, this was kind of, you know, as I, you know, you guys know, I write for uh, slap the sign. This took everybody by surprise. I thought Notre Dame handled it very well. Obviously there's some kind of draw from Sienna, uh, to Burns. So that's where he ends up. He'll have a full year of eligibility remaining. So, I'm not sure what what happened there. Um, I do know that Notre Dame is kind of equipped for this. They have good roster depth throughout the program. I know Jawan Durham is the next guy up, and he's a former five-star guy who's played well, defends the rim well, and I think Notre Dame's going to be fine. Ian Steer, who abruptly left North Carolina State this past week, has landed at St. John's, which is interesting, I guess, to say the least. I mean, you, you leave Creighton... You go to NC State, you play a game, and then you leave and go to Queens to play for Chris Mullen, who is one of the worst Power Six conference coaches, you know, in the Power Six. I mean, I I don't understand the move. There, there's got to be some kind of draw there. There's got to be something that we're missing there. But, uh, you know, best wishes to, to Ian as he lands, as he's now committed to his third program, and he's played a total of one game. In college, uh, national news: James Wiseman commits to Memphis, which is no surprise to anybody, um, maybe outside of Lexington. But uh, you know, follows Penny Hardaway. Penny Hardaway, I read, is now six for six on recruiting uh, local guys that played for his AEU program out of Memphis. He was hired to recruit Memphis. He was hired to make Memphis University or University of Memphis a Memphis-driven program. He's done just that. Now they got their asses kicked the other day, but <clears throat> whatever. I mean, they got the number one kid in 2019 coming in. They got the Lomax kid this year. Uh, DJ Jeffries is coming in with Wiseman next year. Malcolm Dandridge is coming in, which he's you know going to be a good backup center for them. This team, Memphis basketball is going to have talent. I'm just wondering if they're going to have the wins. You know, go back to like the Sean Sean Banks days where they had all kinds of talent. They just couldn't win games. So we'll we'll, we'll see what happens there at Memphis. But Penny Hardaway so far is, is checking the boxes. For things that those uh, those alums, that city, that department, that administration wanted him to do, and that's to make Memphis Memphis driven. And Memphis is a special place for people from Memphis, 
And Memphis is just a special place in general. If you listen to Gary Parrish's podcast, he's from Memphis and he's pretty special. So uh, getting right into the week in review, uh, Virginia Tech. I'm, I'm going to change the format a little bit this week, guys. I used to go by the day on the rundown. And what I found was it got a little bit redundant. I was saying the same crap over and over every time I got to a different game with the same team. So what I'm going to do now is go by team throughout the week. And we'll just do one team at a time. We'll go out through the week. I'll give my thoughts, and we're going to do it like that. I think it's going to go a lot smoother. It's going to be less redundant. It's going to be easier on you guys. So first team on the docket is... Virginia Tech, they go 2-0 this week. Uh, Sunday, they actually, uh, a week a week ago today, they defeated Purdue to win the Charleston Classic title, 89-83. Uh, Robinson, Hill, NAW combined for 71. The team goes 10 of 24 from deep. Kerry Blackshear, foul trouble again. Uh, Carson Edwards was absolutely incredible in this game, 26 points, 7 assists, and one of the, the craziest dunks that I've seen so far this season. Um, I, knew, I knew Edwards could dunk, but he's such a... You know, coming into this year, he was seen as a fundamentally sound player, a guy who could really score the ball all three levels. He was a Purdue guy, you know what I mean? You haven't seen, you don't see a whole lot of flash come out of that program. This dunk had some flash. If you uh, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, jump on YouTube and just put in Carson Edwards dunk. It'll probably be the first thing that pops up. Uh, Virginia Tech goes on later in the week to absolutely destroy St. Francis, 75-37. They made 14 threes in this game. P.J. Horn uh, has really taken this front court reserve role by you know by the horns. Uh, I thought he had a fantastic first half yesterday. Uh, of course, he's in the game because Kerry Blackshear again was on the bench with foul trouble. Okay, Kerry Blackshear has now not played more than twenty five minutes in any game this year, which is absolutely ridiculous. He's had at least four fouls in three out of the five games this year, and he had three in the other two. Okay, he has almost as many fouls, 19, as he does total rebounds on the season at 21. I mean, at some point you just you got to figure it out. And the kid's talented. They're going to need him on the floor to win in the ACC. This is an elite eight team. Virginia Tech's an elite eight team, potential Final Four team if they get Chris Clark and Landon Ollie's back. Which, yeah, those two guys still aren't playing. I'm not sure Chris Clark's coming back. I don't know if I've said that before. I'm hoping Landers and Ollie retakes the ACT and gets on the court at some point because this kid's uber talented. I, you know, a terrific shooter, got good size on the wing. Just another one of those players for Buzz Pe- uh, Buzz Williams, Buzz Peterson, Jesus. Um, and as far as Clark goes, I mean, it's, it's looking less and less likely, right? I mean, unless there's some kind of investigation going on and there's no word of anything coming out of Blacksburg. So Kerry Blackshear's got to get his shit together. Is basically all it does. Move your feet. Stop reaching. Stop slapping. Stop. If you're going to come help side, move your feet. Don't reach and slap and fucking undercut. And, and you know, you got to box out better. It's just at some point you got to get it figured out. I think we might be past the point where we're going to, we have a legit expectation for him to change the way he plays basketball. And, you know, PJ Horn's playing well. Uh, you know, at this point, maybe Virginia Tech. This is how they're going to have to roll the rest of the season. And I think, unfortunately, that really limits their ceiling. If Blackshear figures it out, hey, you know, this is like I said, this is an Elite Eight potential Final Four team if they get hot from deep. So Virginia Tech 2-0 in the week. Uh, next team up is Wake Forest. Wake Forest goes 1-1. They defeat Valpo last Sunday. 
you know, once again, Jalen Hoard, Isaiah Musius, Hoard with 14 and 9, Musius with 13 off the bench. I thought Musius looked awesome in that game. Uh, Olivier Saar with another tough game, zero points. You know, averaging just 6 and 5 on the season, I expected more from him. I think Wake Forest expected more from him. You know, Wake Forest, I, I've kind of been on them all year. They, they just look like they're a mess on the court. And it bit them in the ass later on in the week as they lost to Houston Baptist uh, in overtime, 93-91. to Horde played well, 22-15. Uh, Brandon Childress had 27. You know, it, it's the same old story for Wake Forest. Uh, Houston Baptist hits 12 triples. Uh, they currently rank 320th in three-point percentage allowed in the nation. And this is the same shit that's been going on under Danny Manning's watch the entire time he's been in Winston-Salem. Last season, they were 317th in opposing three-point percentage against. Uh, the season before that, they were 230th. So he's actually getting worse at defending the perimeter. Now, that can be expected because he's got a little bit of youth on this team. But Danny Manning just... His defense has been terrible during his time at Wake Forest, but since he continues to recruit... He continues to be employed. I don't think – you can't fire Danny Manning in, in season. You have to wait till the offseason. I think Wake Forest fans are just going to have to ride this out. You have to do something egregious, something illegal, something embarrassing to get fired in season. Um, and, you know, Danny Manning, he, he's trying. He's bringing in talent. He has earned the, 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 the common courtesy, I guess, to finish out the season with this program. I think he's got to go, though. You have to fire him. At the end of the season, I mean, this is this is ridiculous. I mean, there's no way you should have this much talent and play this poorly. It's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, maybe there need to be changes on the staff. May I, I don't know, but he's got to go. He's got to go. His seat must be red hot right now. And if it's not, then Wake Forest, you got to think that they're just happy with cash and checks from other program successes. Uh, the other thing about Wake Forest, Olivier Saar has been completely underwhelming this year, the sophomore forward. He, you know, he was expected to step into the void left by Doral Moore. Uh, on the season, he's got 17 fouls, 11 turnovers, and only seven blocks. His, his strong suit was supposed to be his ability to protect the rim. He has not done that this year. He hasn't scored the ball. He hasn't rebounded the ball particularly well. And He's the alpha in that front court for for the most part. I mean, well, you know, Jalen Hort is the talent, but Olivier Saar is supposed to be like the guy that does all the dirty work. You know, the defender, the rim protector, he's supposed to, you know, clean the defensive glass while Horde kind of just goes around and just dominates the game everywhere because he's a you know a three-level player. Saar has been a disappointment. You know, Chaundy Brown, you know, that that 2017 recruiting class was a class that I really liked, and they just haven't haven't lived up to expectations. Now you know, development sometimes falls on the coaching staff, but at some point it's also got to fall on the players. And, you know, Wake Forest right now just isn't getting it done on all aspects. Uh, next up, uh, the team who played the game of the week, in my opinion, Duke. Uh, they go 2-1 and one on the week. They get another top 10 win, beating Auburn by 6. You know, Auburn played really well, and Duke still, still beat them. Uh, before that, though, they absolutely destroyed San Diego State. I thought that would be kind of a game. Duke won that 90 to 64. Uh, you know, Zion had a mediocre game against San Diego State, and Duke still won by 26. Um, Trey Jones was really good. He went 0 for 3 from the line, it was the only thing that I, I really picked up on. He used to do better than that. Duke hits 10 triples in the game. You know, and then we move on to Tuesday, 78 72. 
Duke up to this point had also never lost in Maui. Uh, Marcus Bolden, 11 and 9. All five starters in double figures for Duke. This is Marcus Bolden's coming out party, right? No, no. It was, it was an aberration. It was an enigma. It was uh, a glitch in the code because he went right back to being non-existent the following night against Gonzaga, which Gonzaga has one of the most talented, you know, front lines in all of college basketball in Rui Hachimura and Brandon Clark and Philip Petrusev. Killian Tilly is not even playing. I mean, Philip Petrusev was actually committed to Hartford at one point. Can you imagine that kid in the America East? Player of the year is a freshman. Absolutely unreal. Um, you know, they lose to Gonzaga on Wednesday night. The first time they've ever lost in Maui, 87-89. to It's a really good game. Gonzaga controlled it almost the entire way in the second half. Um, and then went cold, and then Duke came back, and I, they tied the game, and then they went cold in the last two minutes. Um, you know, Zion with a double-double, but he finally saw somebody with similar raw athletic ability in Brandon Clark, who was a Gonzaga front court player who transferred from San Jose State. How did that kid end up at San Jose State? That's what I want to know. That's that's failure by recruiting services. That's failure by coaches evaluating talent right there. Or it could just be he likes San Jose State. I mean, who knows? Um, <clears throat> Duke shot horribly at the rim. I, I think I saw at one point that on the season, dunks and layups, they were shooting 78%. Uh, up to this game, and in this game they shot somewhere around 40%. Uh, Barrett had 23 points but took 25 shots. Uh, he was pretty bad down the stretch. The shots just weren't really falling. Uh, I thought Cherry Jones was awesome in this game. Uh, he's not flashy. He's just a really good basketball player. And this was, in my opinion, this was the game of the year so far. This is the... I'm, I'm actually standing. I'm not a fan of either one of these programs, and I, obviously I dislike Duke a little bit. Um, Gonzaga is a program that I never really jumped on as far as fanhood because I don't want to be that bandwagon. Oh, I love Gonzaga, but I wish I had. You know what I mean? It's been 20 years now. <laughs> really good for 20 years. Um, you know, Duke only hit five threes in the game. If I told you that Duke scored 87 points, had 22 offensive rebounds, only turned the ball over 10 times, and went 20 of 26 from the line. That's a win. That's a win every time. There's no way that you could convince, tell me without showing me video evidence that they lost that game. And that's exactly what happened. Okay, They only hit five threes in the game, which is, which is what we thought before the season. That was their Achilles, was Duke wouldn't be able to consistently hit triples. Well... I mean, I don't know how you score 87, 22 offensive rebounds, only 10 turnovers, make 20 free throws and still lose. That speaks to you about how good Gonzaga is because this was a good game. Duke, Duke with those stats, the other, whatever, 30 games this season, if they put those numbers up, they're going to go 30-0. Absolutely. Guaranteed. Um, you know, I... I, I like I said before, I don't like Duke, but I'm going to watch every game they play this year because I want to see some amazing shit that Zion does, which he threw down a dunk in this game that uh, the people at Maui are lucky that that Coliseum didn't just fall apart because that place was amped. Um, really fun game to watch. I really wish that I could make it out to that to that tournament because I might not, never leave. Once I, once I go out there for the first time, I'm going to be there every year because that's where I'm going to live. Uh, North Carolina goes two and one in the week. Uh, you know they beat St. Francis, Pennsylvania, one hundred one seventy six. I didn't watch it. Cam Johnson twenty points, six rebounds. Nasir Little had nineteen points in sixteen minutes. Uh, you know eighteen turnovers in this game against St. Francis, which is interesting <clears throat> because in the very next game, 
they go down or they go to Las Vegas for the Las Vegas Invitational and fall to Texas 92 89. This was a really good game. Kerwin Woach was fantastic for Texas. I've never seen Kerwin Woach. Kerwin Roach uh, play like that. Kobe White had, I guess, what will, in when we speak of him in legend, it will be his coming out party. He had 33 points and only two turnovers in this game. He was fucking phenomenal. Uh, you know, too many turnovers for UNC, and they couldn't stop Roach, who had 32. You know, for those who don't know, Roach is, you know, one of those Shaka Smart type players, really athletic, doesn't shoot the ball really well. He just had everything working in this game. Um, I thought it was absolutely ridiculous that some of these people out here, some of these people that, you know, podcasts that I listen to were, were picking Texas against North Carolina. And, <clears throat> you know, it shows that any day, you know, you get even these neutral, these neutral court games, anybody can lose. And we're seeing more neutral court quality matchups than we are home and homes. And I'm okay with that. Um, but, you know, Texas, I just thought had athletes. And, you know, North Carolina has basketball players. I think if they play a seven-game series, Carolina probably wins it four games to two. But on this particular night, Kerwin Roach went off, and they didn't have an answer for him. And, uh, you know, UNC did bounce back, beat UCLA 94-78. to uh, You know, five guys with at least 14 points. Kobe White didn't have a fallback game. He had 19 points against UCLA as well. You know, I thought that was a really good bounce back for the Tar Heels. Only six turnovers in this game. So you know that Roy addressed that in the shoot-around in the – in in the walkthrough the day of or the night after who knows what happened after they get beat by texas roy might have had him in the gym till midnight um ucla is ranked it looks like a good win on paper but they're not very good uh chris wilkes is a really good player for them but everybody else you know cody riley the cody hill is it what is it jordan riley cody hill cody hill jordan Riley. i don't know um UCLA is not very good. I don't think Alfred's a very good coach. I think he's toast after this year if they don't make the tournament and do some damage. But <clears throat> on paper, you got to be pleased if you're a North Carolina fan that they come right back and they beat a ranked opponent by 16. Uh, Florida State probably had the best week out of anybody. They go 3-0 on the week. They defeat Canisius 93-61. Florida State's plus 15 on the glass. Wins the turnover battle, 19 assists on 31 shots. It's, it's becoming the typical Florida State line is good fundamental basketball and they're winning the games that they should be winning. You know, Kevin Gelly had 18 and six off the bench, had a huge dunk, uh, on the break in the first half, you know, and I had to ask the poll question on, on Twitter earlier this week is Florida state better with Kevin Gelly at the five than they are with JMCK. And the poll results were, well, there wasn't very, there wasn't a huge turnout for it, which kind of disappointed me, but it was pretty even Kevin Gelly got the edge. You know, and then I watched another game this week, and I thought the other way. I, I would have said that uh, they were better with Cabin Gelly. He's his ability to stretch the floor. He can still block shots. He's a pretty good rebounder. Um, JMCK just kind of gums up the works a little bit, but that seems to work to Florida State's advantage. And Leonard Hamilton really likes that because that's the way he's played since he's been in Tallahassee. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, Terrence Mann was 17. I'm sorry. Uh, Florida State also beat uh, UAB 81-63. James CK, of course, this is the game um, that I'm watching the other night. He comes out, he's got 12-9 and nine with three blocks. He looks great. Florida State looks great. Terrence Mann was 17. MJ Walker only had five in this game, which he hadn't looked good um, up to this point on the season. And there's a reason I say it the way I did right there. Um, you know, I'm kind of back and forth. And what this makes me think about Florida State is – they can just give you all kinds of looks, you know. If they want to uh, stretch the floor a little bit, if they want to need a little bit more fluidity on the court, 
Kevin Gelly's going to play the five. If they want to gum up the works and make you shoot threes and force you out of the paint, then JMCK is going to be on the floor. And that's an interesting dynamic they have. And I'm not sure anybody else has been able to match that. And that's been a point of their success. Now, um, as far as Walker goes, um, they play uh, LSU in the Advocare Invitational down in Disney World. They win 79-76 in overtime. Uh, before I get to Walker, this was the worst officiated game that I've watched this season. It was absolutely terrible. There was a call on, oh, how did it go? On David Nichols, I think, and it went against it went against Florida State. And then like 30 seconds later, um, they throw an inbound pass to Tremont Waters. Tremont Waters jumps up to grab it. Nichols kind of undercuts him, doesn't let him land. Waters falls to the floor, takes a tumble, rolls over, and the ref calls travel. And Will Wade lost his fucking mind. I'm not a fan of either one of these programs, so I don't care, but I thought it was hilarious. Um, It seemed like every foul, every every block foul, every charge foul was exactly the opposite of what it should have been. It was just, it was a horribly officiated game. Uh, Florida State absolutely killed LSU on the offensive glass. It was... Uh, you know, Terrence Mann, I think, didn't score in the first half, or maybe had two points in the first half, and then played really well in the second half. Uh, MJ Walker was awesome in the first half, but he needs to be able to sustain that. I think he had 24 in this game. Um, but he really needs to be able to sustain that over the course of two halves. I think he had 15 in the first half. He ended the game on 23 or 24 points. Um, I want to see him put together two good halves. Then I want to see him put together two good games. He's a he's a he has the pedigree and the talent to be a dominant player in this league. And he just needs to put it together, okay? He's got the talent. He's got the opportunity. Now he just needs to put it together. And I think he's going to do that. Um, look for him today as Florida State plays Villanova for the championship at the Advocare uh, Invitational in Walt Disney World, which, you know, just another one of them tournaments that I've never heard of that's pumping out great games. Uh, number six on the list today is Clemson. Goes 2-0 in the week. They defeat Akron 82-79 to this week. Mitchell and Reed combined for 38 Mitchell also with five rebounds, four assists, uh, four steals, three assists. Was absolutely phenomenal in this game. Eli Thomas with another double-double, 15-12. and 12. They then go down and beat Georgia, 64-49. to 49. Marquise Reed with 24 points, nine rebounds. He's averaging six rebounds per game on the season. Okay, That's more than Pasquale Chukwu of Syracuse averages. This is just absolutely ridiculous. Marquise Reed is one of the most underrated players in the country. I keep, I'm going to keep banging that drum. Until somebody realizes it. Or until Clemson basketball unblocks me from Twitter. That too. Uh, in the Georgia game, Eli Thomas had another double-double, 12-11. and 11. Uh, Amir Sims, for the first time this season, did not play very well. He did play decent against Creighton, which Clemson lost to Creighton 87-82. Marquise Reed had 27 in that game. Uh, you know, Clemson didn't shoot well, turned the ball over a ton. Eli Thomas was in foul trouble. He had five turnovers himself. Uh, Amir Sims did bounce back a little bit, had 10 points in that game. But, uh, you know, Creighton, you know, was it? they destroyed Georgia State the other day too. So, you know, Creighton is maybe better than what we thought they were. Um, Clemson is, I mean, I think this, this that was an okay loss for Clemson. I think at the end of the day, we're not going to look back at that and say that's a terrible loss. They had been rolling up to this point. Mir Sims has been playing well. Obviously, Marquise Reed's playing well. Shelton Mitchell, you know, Eli Thomas is putting out double doubles. They were they were going to lose one eventually. It's not like we expected this team to go undefeated in the out of conference schedule. So, you know, Clemson two and one in the week. I still think they're a really good team. I'm I'm a believer. 
in uh, in Mar- in that backcourt, I guess. Uh, Boston College goes two and zero in the week. They kind of bounce back after dropping a tough game at home last week. They defeat Wyoming eighty eight to seventy six. Kai Pullman with thirty eight points, seven rebounds, three assists. Stephon Mitchell with a double double eleven and eleven. Uh, you know, Winston Tabs was a freshman that I've been on. If you've been uh, following me on Twitter at Pecon thirty six. Uh, as a freshman that is kind of outperforming his his rating, he was in foul trouble most of this game. Uh, if you don't know, uh, Justin James is a player out of Wyoming. 27 points. He's one of the best scorers in the entire country. Go ahead and watch him. You know, you got the ESPN app. Go ahead and use it. Punch up one of Wyoming's games. Punch up this game. Shit, Kai Bowman of 38, Justin James of 27. It was a pretty good game to watch. Um, a nice bounce back for, for Boston College. And then... Um, they host uh, Loyola Chicago. I'm not sure if this was a tournament or not. I don't have this down in my notes. But Loyola Chicago, everybody's darling. Okay, Clayton Custard, uh, the Crutwig kid. You know, some people ridiculously had them ranked in the top 25, Jason McIntyre. Um, <clears throat> uh, Boston College beats them 78-66 in a game that Kai Bowman did not play that well. Okay, he only had 12. You know, it's a good win for BC. It, you know, it looks good on paper. I don't know how great it looks in the metrics. But, uh, you know, Jordan Chapman had 20. Stephon Mitchell didn't play well. Jerry's Hamilton finally played pretty decent. Winston Tabs, yeah. Um, but if Boston College can, you know, hey, look, Loyola Chicago is good, a good team. They're not top 25 good. They're, what, high 60s, low 70s good? Okay, Ken Palm. They're a, a, an NIT team probably, I think. You know, they lost three of their top six from last year from that Final Four run. And look, just because you make the Final Four doesn't mean you're one of the four best teams in the country. Just like last year, Florida State making the Elite Eight doesn't make Florida State one of the best eight teams in the country. It's all about matchups. It's all about health. Okay, it's all about quality guard play, and you got to be a little bit lucky. Okay, you know, Killing Tilly being out for the Florida State Gonzaga game is lucky. You know, um, I just you know, Loyola Chicago is a good team. This is a good win for Boston College. I like that they are able to bounce back. They protected their home court this week. You know, I, I continue to be on the fence with Boston College. I think they're an NIT team right at the moment. Notre Dame bounces back from a loss at Radford last week. They beat William & Mary last Saturday, which I talked about on the last show. Uh, this week they defeat Duquesne, who is, eh, you know, fair to Midland in the A-10. I think they got a good coach in Keith Dambrot. Uh They beat Duquesne 67-56. They didn't look great in this game. John Mooney had a double-double for the third straight game. Uh was 16-10. and Prentice Hub played 34 minutes in this game and has seen his minutes climb in every game so far this season. Uh, you know, his usage rate is still only 16%, but I think that's going to increase as he slowly takes over that point guard role from Temple Gibbs, which I think is going to be good for Gibbs as well. Uh, yesterday they go, no, they stayed home. Uh, they defeated DePaul in South Bend 95-70. to They outscored the Blue Demons by 22 in the second half. It was really, you know, in the first half, eh, kind of everybody feeling each other out, okay? Everybody's checking their range. You know, Max Struess didn't play well yesterday, um, especially early on. He just couldn't get it to fall. I think he had five at the half. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, Prentice Hub, Temple Gibbs, and Nate Lashevsky combined for 48 points. Rex Fluger also has his coming out party for the season. Scores a career high 21. Um, you know, this is the Notre Dame team that I expect. Now, granted, I know it's DePaul. Okay, they were picked to finish dead last in the Big Ten. Big Ten? Big East. Yeah, Big East. No. Shit, I don't even know where DePaul is anymore. But I know it's in Chicago. I don't know what conference they're in. I don't really give a shit. They're still fucking terrible. Um... 
Notre Dame looked good. The freshmen looked really good yesterday. Um, and the thing that I like, this is why I love Mike Bray. Uh, DJ Harvey, you're not playing well? Get your ass on the bench. Okay? That's, that's just the way Mike Bray is. And Dane Goodwin and Robbie Carmody came in and both looked fairly decent yesterday. Okay? Laz looked good yesterday. Hub looked good yesterday. Temple Gibbs looked like the player that I expected coming into the season yesterday. He had 18 points. Um, if this is what we're going to get, I'm, you know, they look 2-0 and in the week after they lose their team captain. Okay? This team is deep. This team has options. They have versatility on both ends of the floor. I love Joan Durham and what he gives them off the bench. I thought he would be a starter, but John Mooney has been also phenomenal as the pivot guy, as a true post. And he's taken that and he embraced it. He had kind of a tough game yesterday, but he had three straight double doubles coming into the, the DePaul game. And he's just, they, they just do their thing. Okay. You know, they have a really good coaching staff at Notre Dame with uh, Rob Belanus with Mike Bray, with Ryan Humphrey, who is a, a Notre Dame legend, and with Ryan Ayers, who's also played at Notre Dame. So this team, I, I still like them to go to the tournament. I, I like Notre Dame to be a surprise team out of the ACC. Uh, North Carolina State continues their gauntlet of a schedule. Uh, 2-0 in the week. Did not look great, though, and I have real concerns for this North Carolina State team. You know, the loss of Ian Steer isn't as concerning because he hadn't, he'd only played in one game, hadn't really given him much. Uh, they beat St. Peter's this week by a score of 85-57. to 57. It wasn't a real pretty game. Um, you know, they did get to the line 27 times, made 21 of them. They made 10 triples, but it just eh, it wasn't a fun game to watch. They then yesterday, uh, they only defeat Mercer 78-74, to 74, which you know, they led this game by 21 with like 12, 11 minutes to go. Um, Mercer gets it down to 74-70 in favor of North Carolina State. With 30 seconds, but the Wolfpack hold on. Uh, Torn Dorn with 19 and 9. Um, you know, Lockett and Dorn both hit, go two for two from the line in the final 30 seconds to hold on. This is a team that I'm really concerned about. Um, you know, I picked them to finish seventh in the ACC. They they need to they need to develop that killer instinct is what they need to do. They they need to have that alpha dog mentality. And I think Markel Johnson is you know last year it was Al. Al Al Freeman, basically. I'm going to butcher his first name. Alaric Freeman, who in big games stepped up. I think North Carolina game, he was, what, 6-for-6 six six from Duke, 7-for-7, seven seven, something like that. Markel Johnson needs to step up and be that guy this year. He needs to have that killer instinct. When you got somebody on the floor, you don't help them back up. You put your fucking foot on their throat, and you win the game. And North Carolina State needs to needs to do that. They also need to develop some, some quality front court play you know Wyatt Walker needs to play better especially with the upcoming game against Wisconsin which we're going to talk about later today um Georgia Tech 2-0 in the week against Cupcakes but they still managed a way to struggle uh they did beat uh they did beat they defeat University of Texas Rio Grande Valley 72 to 44 that game was kind of a slaughter not really a great game Jose Alvarado came off the bench in this game and about 20 minutes before well, about half an hour before the game it was announced that he wasn't starting which led to some unwarranted speculation both on my part and the Georgia Tech community which was kind of amusing which everything's fine everything's fine uh, Mike DeVoe with 14, Moses Wright with 11. Not really a whole lot to see here in this game. Uh, they then defeated Prairie View A&M 65-54. It's a terrible game. Um, ugly. G-Tech couldn't make wide open threes, couldn't make layups. Just, I mean, they made a really bad 1-5 SWAC team look good in the first half. Um, 
you know, it's it's a good thing that Georgia Tech has a player like Jose Alvarado, who's got the New York fuck you mentality. I'm not losing this game, and he is the reason that G Tech won this game. Um, AM pretty much led the whole first half. Tech finally took the lead about 14 to go in the second half. It's absolutely ridiculous. I don't want to talk about this team anymore. And we're moving on to Virginia, who uh, went 3-0 in the week. They win the battle for Atlantis. They beat Middle Tennessee State by 22, 74-52. Uh, I did notice in this game that Tony Bennett was starting to pare down his rotation a little bit. Uh, Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter both had 15 in that game. They then went on to defeat Dayton 66-59, to which was a, a pretty good game, actually. I thought Dayton played well for Anthony Grant. They got a kid named Cunningham, Chris Cunningham, Christian Cunningham. Who plays? Who was a very good player for Dayton? Um, UVA only led by five at the half. Dayton was within four for most of the most of, if not the entire second half. Um, UVA fourteen offensive rebounds, only nine turnovers, seventeen of twenty-two for the line. You know, it's a team that just doesn't beat themselves. You know, Jack Stalt still didn't start, but outplayed Diakite twenty minutes to eight. That back stiffness problem, which. Uh, you know, it kept him out. I think it broke a streak of, sorry, I just had a little brain cramp there. Um, 70 straight games when she started. So Jack Salt's working his way back. He actually did start yesterday um, against Wisconsin, in which, you know, the championship game for that, uh, for the Battle for Atlantis. They defeated Wisconsin 53 to 46 to win the title. DeAndre Hunter with 20 points, nine rebounds. In this game, um, <clears throat> Bennett only played seven guys. So the rotation's pretty much been set. It is Diakite Salt, Hunter, um, Diakite Salt, Hunter, Guy, Jerome, um, Kei Clark, and shit, who am I forgetting? Oh, Braxton Key. And this this Kei Clark kid, I didn't expect much for him as a freshman. He's really good. He had, I think he had nine rebounds. Kid's like 5'8". Um, <laughs> He can shoot it a little bit. He can handle the ball, which allows Ty Jerome to play off the ball, which you got, if Kei Clark's in there handling the ball, you got Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter, all roaming around off the ball, running off screens, running fades to the corners, running curls to the elbows, and you got to keep track of all three of those guys. Ah, you're so fucked. <laughs> it's going to be demoralizing for, for opponents to have to do that. And if you sag off Clark, he's going to drill one right in your mug. He's finally found his stroke after struggling a little bit early in the season. Louisville with a 0-2 week. Um, I, I'm basically getting what I expected in the preseason out of Louisville. They fall to Tennessee earlier in the week, 91-82. Jordan Nora putting up numbers, 23-10 in a losing effort. VJ King looked absolutely terrible. I think he was 2-9 for nine in this game. Um, I'm out. Okay. He's not going to get there. He's just, it's just not who he is. He's not the alpha. Okay. Jordan award. Just like I said, in the preseason is the best player on this team. Darius Perry <clears throat> in this game looks like he may get there. Okay. 31 minutes in this game, eight points, eight assists, only one turnover, three steals. As of this game, I'm writing these notes down as I'm watching it. He's a player to watch for me. You know, he, he's a guy that I'm going to pay attention to at Louisville. He's a guy that maybe he makes Louisville better this year than they are. Okay, that didn't happen. You know, this is a one-point game with eight minutes to go. Tennessee has the experience, and they have Admiral, Admiral Schofield. You know, Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, Jordan Bourne, Jordan Bone, sorry. 
they just they know how to win. And you know, right now Louisville doesn't. Uh, Louisville then goes to play Marquette. They drop another close game, 77 to 74. Noor again, 15 and 7 in this game. Again, VJ King goes two for ten. He goes four for nineteen on the week, one for six from deep. He just isn't that guy, folks. He just isn't that guy. Um, in this game, now what I just said about Darius Perry, we go to the next game, okay? Christian Cunningham plays 35 minutes. Now he played pretty decent, but eh. Uh, Quan Four plays 25 minutes for Louisville, and Darius player Darius Perry plays 15. Now I'm not one to question Chris Mack, but what's that all about? Uh, I mean, you're gonna ride or die with Darius Perry for the next three years. Four and Cunningham are gone. I I and he just came off mm, one of the best games of his career, probably eight and eight, one turnover, three steals, shit. And he looked great against fuck. Game last week, I don't know, he came out, he looked great in the first half. Hit some threes, had some steals, going to the hoop. You know, I, I, I don't understand some of the decisions coaches make sometimes, but, hey, they get paid millions of dollars, I'm sitting here doing a podcast for free. So that probably tells you all you need to know, all right? Uh, moving on, you know, Louisville, I, you know, I picked them 12th. This is why I picked them 12th. I just don't know if they know how to win. Now, next year, probably going to pick them like 7th because they're going to be really good next year. But we're going to get to that in a few months. Pittsburgh goes 1-0 on the week. They go. They finally leave the Peterson Events Center, okay? And they play St. Louis out of the A-10, who is projected to be pretty decent. Got some transfers. Um, they've developed, you know, Hassan French, who's a pretty decent player. Sucks shooting free throws. But, you know, they got a kid out of a, the best kid from Michigan State. They've recruited a couple of nice kids. Jeff Capel flexes a little bit. And Pittsburgh gets the win, 75-73. to 73. I think they played this at the Barclays Center, which is really weird. I think they played this. They're not part of the NIT tip-off, but they played at the same venue. I don't know what that's all about. But, uh, you know, Xavier Johnson, 20 points, had two clutch free throws at the end of the game. Uh, the Endier kid, the New Mexico State transfer, comes off the bench to score 13. Pittsburgh looks good. They ain't played anybody. St. Louis is the first team they played, and they won. Okay, neutral court game, but I'm going to take it with a team that's loaded with freshmen who are playing heavy minutes. You know, this team's made up of freshman transfers and JUCO guys. And they're, hey, Capel's 5-0. Do, does any, or 6-0. Does, do any, I think he's 6-0. Do any Pittsburgh fans care how you get to 6-0 if you're at Pitt right now? Raise your hands, okay? There's only me in the room. My hand ain't raised. So, I'm taking it if I'm a Pitt fan. I mean, like, I, like I've said in past weeks, this team plays hard. Team looks good. Xavier Johnson was ranked over 300th in the nation, Okay. I'd like to know if anybody can name 150 freshmen in the country that were ranked ahead of him because he looks awesome. He looks better than Trey McGowan's, who was a top 100 kid. It was unreal. That's a steal for Jeff Capel. I, I, hey, it is what it is. Just looks like a kid who's been in the gym working his tail off. Uh, Syracuse, Jesus Christ. Uh, Syracuse 1 0. They defeat Colgate, uh, Colgate, who they play almost every year, 77 uh, 56. Uh, they only led by three at the half, but Colgate led most of the first half. Um, I watched about 14 seconds of this game, and I just can't watch Syracuse play, um, especially after Chuck Wu got hurt. You know, if you don't know, Pascal Chuck Wu left the game about four minutes in, um, left with a left leg injury. Now, Barama Sidibe did log a double double in this game, which is very nice for Syracuse fans. Um, 
he played about even with Marek Dolezal as far as minutes played, but you know outperformed him by a lot. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot on Chuck Wu's injury. Tyus Battle did have 24 points in this game. You know, Syracuse, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you guys. They, they need Frank Howard back in a big way. But if, if Frank Howard's going to be out longer than we anticipated, Howard Washington's going to be out longer than we anticipated, if the Chuck Wu injury is, is worse than what we've heard, or because we haven't heard anything, so when we find out if he's going to miss any, any extended time, you know, Dolajai has not um, progressed. Uh, O'Shea Brissett looks completely lost. You know, this is a team I've picked to finish fifth in the ACC, and right now I don't even think they're they're not an NCAA tournament team. I mean, it, uh, that's what it is. But, you know, if, if Chuck Wu's injury is not bad, if Howard comes back and he's able to run this team, Jalen Carey played terribly against Colgate as well. Um, you know, Syracuse has the talent. They just got to get their offense figured out. I mean, scoring 77 against Colgate, 77 is a good number. Against Colgate, you should be scoring 100, but whatever. Uh, last team I'm going to talk about today, Miami goes 2-0. They destroyed LaSalle. I mean, that was a straight kill. Um, I think they were up by, yeah, they were up by 31 at the half. Uh, Chris Likes had 18 points. I watched, I actually had this game on. I was kind of vacuuming and doing dishes and some other stuff. But, I mean, LaSalle should be better than what they are. Pookie Powell is a Memphis guy who, who can score. Um, I think the loss of B.J. Johnson was, who was a Syracuse kid, actually. Um, that loss, uh, you know, is terrible for that LaSalle program. And then, you know, John Giannini's not there. They're breaking in a new coach, so. Yeah, but Miami, Miami looks good. I mean, if they had Duan Hernandez, I would like them so much more, but they look good right now. Uh, they then defeat a Fresno State team, 78-76. Jet Zach Johnson finally uh, flexes off the bench. He'd been mediocre at this point. I mean, good score, good six-man. I mean, one of the best six-men in the conference. Has 24 off the bench in this game. Likes has 17. Fresno State had demolished Northwestern the night before, so this is kind of a letdown game for the Bulldogs. Something I want to point out, Dayson... Vasilovich is shooting 54% from deep and averaging 16 points a game. Okay, That's your Lonnie Walker replacement right there. I think Walker averaged 13 a game last year. If you're a Miami fan, you have to love it. Okay, He doesn't have the name, but he's got the game. Okay, Vasilovich is shooting 54% from deep. Huh. I, mean, I think Jaquan Newton shot 26% from deep. Okay, so... You know, I, this this Miami team, I keep watching them play because they intrigue me because I don't know anything about them, and they keep performing. You know, Chris Likes is a straight killer. I mean, the kid's 5'6", got no fear of anybody, and he's just putting up jumpers. Plays with the fire. Vasilovich, you need me to hit some threes? I don't know, some threes. You know, Anthony Lawrence has continued to be the inconsistent guy that we all knew, but, you know, Dengak's been good off the bench. Izundu has been phenomenal in replacing Hernandez. And, you know... Miami's beat everybody they put in front of them. So, you know, Fresno State and LaSalle, you know, okay, they are what they are. But we're going to find out some shit in the uh, in the Big Ten Challenge, you know. Actually, we're not because they get Rutgers at home. <laughs> Never mind. All right. Um, <laughs> my ACCPR Player of the Week, uh, kind of a no-brainer here, DeAndre Hunter. 19.3.7 and a half rebounds, 3.3 assists per game. As Virginia wins the battle for Atlantis, they get a quality win over a top 25 team in Wisconsin. Um, you know, 62% field goal percentage from the floor, 81% from the line. He played 37 minutes per game. He was simply awesome. Virginia looked awesome. You know, this, I, I said it before, this is a Final Four team. And, I, hey, this ain't last year's team, okay? This isn't a team from seven years ago, Okay. 
Year to year does not matter in college basketball. I hate that. When they say that's a rematch of the national championship a year later, it's not. It's not the same. Sometimes it's not even the same coach. Rarely the same roster. Give me a break. I hate that. I hate it. Year to year, there's no bearing on how a team performs. And I firmly believe that. Ah, Stockwatch is back. Um, who I'm selling? Syracuse. Look terrible. Okay, Look terrible at the 2K Classic. They look terrible against Colgate. Howard is hurt. Chuck Wu is now injured. Brissett, like I said, is completely lost. Buddy Bayheim has a field goal percentage of 10. 10.3% from the field. That's not from three. That's not from the line. That's overall field goal percentage. 10.3%. He's three for 29 on the season. Somehow he's still playing 15 minutes a game. Absolutely ridiculous. He's been bad. I mean, he was a he's a walk-on for a reason, right? Right? Okay. Syracuse. Doesn't look good. Doesn't look like a tournament team. You watch Notre Dame, you watch Syracuse, you tell me who looks better. <clears throat> I mean, that's all I'm saying. Who am I buying? Florida State. Uh... Already 3-0 in the week. They get Villanova for the Advocare Invitational today for that championship. Uh, game I can't wait to watch. I think Phil Kofer, they said yesterday or Friday, supposed to be back in a couple weeks. Right now, Anthony Polite, Raekwon Gray, both look like weapons off the bench. Raekwon Gray gets heavy minutes in the LSU game the other day. And uh, doing things. I mean, he had a drive to the basket from the top of the key and made some kind of ballerina move on a layup that I was just like, <laughs> guy weighs 260 pounds. Okay, it is incredible. And a polite left-hander, a little bit of a jump shot. You know, he he nailed the triple in the second half against LSU the other day. Got the throwback flat top. Hey, if Florida State is this deep and this good, James Forrest is awesome, by the way. James Forrest? Trent Forrest. Trent Forrest. Yeah, James Forrest played for Georgia Tech in the 90s or 80s maybe. But uh, Trent Forrest. Rebounds, assists, steals, a big point guard. He gave Tremont Waters a little bit of trouble the other day. This Florida State team is really good. MJ Walker looked really good against LSU. Terrence Mann is one of the best two-way players in the, maybe the country. Definitely the ACC. And one of the most underrated players in the ACC. Um, you know, didn't score well in the first half the other day and found a way for Florida State to win in the second half. He's just, he's a really good player. Um, I am now going to bring on, well, first let me tell you, I, you know, don't forget, like, rate, review, share the podcast, retweet the podcast. If you guys are ACCBR fans, I really appreciate it. Um, it's what I love to do. And, you know, you can find me on Facebook, ACC Basketball Report. You can find me on Twitter, at Picon36. You go to accbasketballreport.com. You go to slapassign.com for your Notre Dame fan. I'm putting on another piece today about the week in review for Notre Dame. <clears throat> I really appreciate you guys. What I'm going to do now is I had Kevin Sweeney on from uh, CBB Central, which is a podcast that I listen to. I think Kevin does a really good job. Really, He's a young kid that does a really nice job. He is probably the most plugged-in Big Ten guy that I know as far as being on a personal level. He's part of the Rockin' Top 25 poll that I'm a part of that has um, 12 independents that we all vote on the Top 25 each week for. And, you know, he's just a really smart guy. He goes more in depth than even I do on ACC teams. He does, he does mostly Big Ten. He's a Northwestern fan, which... It matches up nicely because this year in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, GTEC and Northwestern actually match up. And we're going to go down through. We're going to talk about all the games. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I've never had him on before, but, you know, Kevin's a really smart guy. I hope you guys really enjoy. And I'll talk to you afterwards. Hope you guys enjoy. Thanks. All right. I got Kevin Sweeney on here with me today. Kevin is from College Basketball Central Podcast. He has a podcast where he basically covers the entire nation. But uh, for my money, uh, nobody goes in deeper as far as Big Ten basketball goes. Kevin, thanks for taking the time to uh, join me today. I appreciate it. 
Thanks for having me. It's been fun interacting with you on Twitter for quite some time. Uh, so it's good to good to finally chat with you. Yeah, uh, I've done this uh, for about a year. This is the first time I've been able to have Kevin on, and uh, probably uh, you know as as far as as long as the ACC Big Ten Challenge is going on, I'll probably continue to try to have him on. Um, he's part of the Rockin' Top 25 poll that I'm involved in with Tony Patelis and Eric Haslam and some other stuff. Um, I'm just going to jump right into it, Kevin, if you're good to go. Absolutely. Uh, my impression, uh, we get kicked off with ACC Big Ten Challenge tomorrow with two games. My impression of this field is it's, it's interesting, I guess to say the least, as far as some of the matchups go. What's your, uh, what's your overall impression of the field this year? Yeah, I mean, I think... Like like any of these events, it's really tough to to make these matchups in advance. There's a lot of maybe name matchups that won't necessarily hold up in terms of how, how balanced the matchup is. Whereas like Virginia and Maryland has a ton of intrigue uh, just because of the in-state stuff, Maryland versus Virginia. But does it actually have the intrigue of a close college basketball game where could you have matched up Virginia with say a Michigan State, a right. Michigan, and and then the same thing Michigan State, Louisville, two blue bloods but Louisville just not there yet, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Michigan State the top 15 team. So I think there's a few examples like that where the matches may be made more for television intrigue than for uh, basketball intrigue, which kind of sucks as a fan of the game, but at the same time, I think it's going to be some exciting stuff over the next three days. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, like you said, you make these matchups so early that it's tough to sometimes project what's going to happen. You know, one of them that sticks out to me is, is Pitt going on the road for their first true road game at Iowa. And I was a team that's performed really well so far. I think that's going to be not such a great game to watch. Yeah, no, they, I, I think Iowa struggle. Uh, Iowa has no problem in that game at home. Pitt's going to Pitt's going to struggle there. I mean, uh, I really like what Xavier Johnson's doing at that team, but I, mean, I, I was I was really confident early in the season. I think it's been impressive to watch. I mean, a lot of people picked Iowa low just because of what happened last year, but. McCaffrey's made some adjustments that, that that might be one of the bigger kind of blowouts of the, uh, of the tournament yeah I agree so what I'm going to do here is uh I've made my picks I got them kind of written down here um I'm going to start on the Monday night slate and just go down through and uh give you my thoughts and if you would just uh go ahead and, and give me a pick and we'll see how we fare how's that sound sounds good to me uh so we kick off uh Monday night Minnesota goes to Chestnut Hill to Boston College um you know, I like BC a, a little bit. I just love Kai Bowman. He's one of my favorite players in the country. Um, my 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 hesitation here is that Minnesota has good guards, especially Amir Coffey, and BC isn't really known for playing great perimeter defense, and they're not really known for protecting their home court very well. Uh, what, what do you see happening here? Yeah, I think I'm going to pick Minnesota in this game. Uh, Minnesota's still kind of working through some stuff. Uh, they're they're trying to transition Amir Coffee to kind of a, sort of a point guard role. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really love what Isaiah Washington's been doing there. So trying out Coffee is a pretty good ball handler at at that one spot next to Gabe Kalshuer, who's a freshman shooting the ball really well for them. Uh, I, I think Minnesota finds a way. I think it'll be a really tight game. Uh, Boston College just hasn't been super impressive to me. They had the really bad loss to IUPUI early in the mm-hmm. year. I think Minnesota finds a way in a tight one. Yeah, I like Minnesota as well. And that IUPUI loss was actually in Chestnut Hill as well. So, um, you know, Boston College, just because they're at home, doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. I like Minnesota in this game as well. Um, The other game on Monday night is kind of intriguing to me. Uh, Nebraska goes to uh, Clemson. And Clemson's a team that I like. Amir Sims has played a little bit better than I first expected. Um, Marquise Reed, one of the best guards in the country. But if you guys haven't seen this Nebraska team play, James Palmer's a player. Um, Isaac Copeland's a player. Glenn Watson's a really solid point guard. I'm not sure if Nebraska gets it done on the road. Um, I'm going to take Clemson in this game. What do you got here, Kevin? 
Yeah, I mean, that's been the challenge for Nebraska. It, it has been winning away from home and, and beating any tor- sort of top-tier opponent away from home. And that, that was a struggle last year, and then that kind of came back up last week when they lost in a neutral court game to Texas Tech when they were really just handled in the second half. I think Clemson at home uh, with Reed and Mitchell, those two outstanding guards, do find a way to win this one. But, again, another tight game. Yeah, I think it's going to be tight as well. I mean, and, and Palmer, I mean, if – he could go off at any time. So I like the matchups in this game. I like Copeland against Thomas. I like Sims against Palmer. Um, I really like – I think Reed's probably going to match up on Watson. Um, yeah, that, this is one of the more intriguing games. I don't know if it's going to be uh, a great game stylistically, but I think it'll be tight all the way through, and I agree. Um, <laughs> one of the games moving into Tuesday night, this game, I'm not sure if it's going to be much of a game. Virginia Tech goes up to College uh, – yeah, College State – not College Station. Is it College Station? Happy Valley. Happy Valley. Happy Valley. We'll call it that. Uh, Virginia Tech at Happy Valley. Virginia Tech's rolling right now. Just won the Charleston Classic. Penn State, you know, if they still had the car kid, um, uh, you know, they'd have a chance here. But I like Virginia Tech probably in a blowout. What do you think here, Kevin? Yeah, I think this is a comfortable win uh, for, for Virginia Tech. I've actually been fairly impressed by DePaul's on DePaul, Penn State's young guards, but they just they haven't been sharp, that sharp early in the year. Mm-hmm. Lost at DePaul, lost on a neutral to Bradley. Um, yeah, I think this is a 15-plus point win for, for Virginia Tech and Buzz Williams' group. Um, yeah, not, not a whole lot to say there. Penn State's not really impressive so far. I haven't seen a whole lot of them, but Virginia Tech's rolling right now. Um, another kind of mismatch game. I would have liked to have seen Notre Dame get matched up with somebody else. But, uh, again, Tuesday night, Illinois goes on the road to South Bend. Um, Illinois one and four in the season. Um, you know they got some players in Trent Frazier and Io, but uh, Notre Dame their freshmen are starting to click a little bit. Hubs clicking. Lazuski's really shooting the ball well. Um, what, what do you got here? Yeah, I think Notre Dame finds a way. I think I was a little concerned just to see a captain leave the Notre Dame program in Elijah Burns. Certainly excited mm-hmm. to see his result. Giving his head to Siena, a little little hometown right. connection for me. But uh, that's always a little concerning. But I'm not I'm not going to sound the alarms too much with Notre Dame. Illinois has got tremendous guards that can blow up at any time with yep. Frazier and Io, as you mentioned, and uh, even guys like Andres Feliz, Alan Griffin have looked pretty good. But uh, t- to me, that Notre Dame will protect home court, court here in a tight one. Yeah, I think uh, I-, I was concerned, especially because Burns just came off one of the best games he's had in his career. I think, but right before he transferred, um, that second half they played yesterday against DePaul was some of the best basketball I've seen Notre Dame play all season. So I, I think they're going to persevere through that loss. Um, <laughs> a matchup that you mentioned previously that is maybe one we'd like to take back and reseed here. Michigan State goes at Louisville, which I guess Louisville's got a little bit of home court advantage, but right now their guard play is a little sloppy. They're not getting anything out of VJ King. Um, Michigan State has looked pretty decent since uh, that opening light loss to Kansas. Um, I got Michigan State going in this game. How do you see it? Yeah, I think Louisville hangs around. Uh they just they just look really well coached every time I watch them and I'm, I'm impressed and and Mora's been the guy we'd hoped he'd be at 18 and seven so far. I think Michigan State's a little too much in this one. Uh, their guards are so good. Nick Ward's always solid, but uh, I, I think I think this game will be closer than people expect in the second half. Maybe eight minutes left, we're going to be in a tie game or a three point game, and people will be going all over Twitter like, "Is Louisville going to do this?" And Michigan <laughs> State just kind of Michigan State will find a way, but. I, I think Chris Mack's going to keep this game close. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, you know, I'm wondering what we get out of. It's really interesting because Darius Perry had been playing really well, 
Um, and then just the game they lost to uh, Marquette the other night, he played 15 minutes. And Christian Cunningham, for some reason, played 35. I mean, he's, I think he scored 16 in that game. But I think Chris Mack's still getting a feel for this roster. And, uh, you know, you, uh, when you're not getting anything out of VJ King, when he's playing as poorly as he is, it's hard to project um, Louisville to beat a, a, you know, a top 10 team like Michigan State, even though it is at home. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And it, Louisville just doesn't have the elite level talent that they need to win these types of games. And, like, especially when VJ King, who, is probably one of the more talented guys on that team. Can't isn't providing what they need him to provide. I mean, averaging ten points, but been kind of a quiet ten a game. Right. Been inefficient. I think. I think when you do, when you're not getting everything out of him, the margin of error just shrinks so much more than it already had. Yeah. Um, one of the more intriguing games to me, and this basically goes contrast in styles, is uh, North Carolina State going on the road to Madison. Um, Ethan Happ has been on fire lately. Um, you know, I thought they played pretty well against Virginia, even though Virginia is, is kind of loaded this year, especially in their top five. North Carolina State hasn't played anybody and won't really play anybody up before they play this game on Tuesday night. Um, I'm kind of worried about the Wolfpack here. I think Wisconsin's going to come out with a W. Yeah, I'm really torn because, as you said, just such contrasting styles. I mean, Wisconsin is just going to play a rock fight of a game and Davison, Trice, and Hap just kind of carry them on a nightly basis. And Trice has been so impressive. Very I, impressive. I, I, I was I was high on Trice coming in, but I wasn't this high. <laughs> uh, definitely. I, I mean, they look like a top twenty-five team this weekend. And despite them losing, I think I'll probably vote them in um, mm-hmm. into my top twenty-five next week. Um, I think North Carolina State though finds a way to turn this into a track meet, and, and then it's a real scary game for Wisconsin. I think they. I think this could be a, a weird blowout in one direction or another where the other team will we'll, we'll, we'll like take a really strong opinion away from one of these teams and it's really just a horrible matchup for the other like if mm-hmm. wisconsin gets this game into the half court and it's just speeding ethan half all game north carolina state's going to get handled and people are like oh north carolina state hasn't played anybody mm-hmm. and if north carolina state gets up and down it'll be like wisconsin can only win you know grind out games against big 10 type teams and they're not good nationally so I think we're going to take away something from from this game that we shouldn't necessarily take away just because of such contrast. I don't know if you could find a game with more contrasting styles than Wisconsin, who's just going to like throw it to Ethan Half, who's going to pass out of the post the whole time, whole game, or North Carolina State, who's just going to run it down your throat, 90, 90 plus point games. Yeah, um, you know my my I think the worst possible thing that could happen in this game for North Carolina State is. They pounded into Ethan Happ in the first two or three minutes of the game, and Wyatt Walker picks up two fouls. And then, you know, Manny Bates is hurt. Ian Steer transfers. Um, then you got Derek Funderburk, who's not a rim protector, in there trying to match up against maybe the best center in the country. Yeah, that that that's the concern. Is Walker's a is Walker's the guy who can match it up much better? I mean, Funderburk's more of a running big. I don't right. think that matchup is good for for Happ. Uh, yeah, so so yeah, Walker has to stay out of foul trouble. That's the big thing, and. And then just tempo, as we've said. I think if, if Markel Johnson and C.J. Bryce can just start leading the break, I, Wisconsin's not going to have enough athletes to get back and stop them. Right. Every missed shot, they're going to have to try to push. So you are you leaning one way or the other on this one? I think I'm going to pick NC State. Yeah. But I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's just, that's the, I think that, that was the one I had the most trouble with as well. Um, the last game on Tuesday night, and this is intriguing maybe from a talent but not from a matchup perspective. Um, obviously two of the, the blue blood powerhouses in college basketball history. Indiana travels to Durham. Um, Duke coming off that loss to Gonzaga in easily the best game that I've watched so far this season. 
Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Duke reacts to losing in the fashion that they did. Uh, Barrett didn't play very well, had 23 points on 25 shots against Gonzaga. Indiana's got a stud freshman in Romeo Langford and you know an upperclassman that can really do it all in Juwan Morgan. Um, I got Duke in this game, but uh, you know <laughs> Langford and Morgan are formidable. I think Indiana's a little overmatched, but I wouldn't be shocked if they shot the lights out and got the upset. Yeah, I think Indiana hangs in early, but after that blowout win over Marquette that was so impressive, Indiana's mm-hmm. really struggled, lost to Arkansas on the road. I didn't think that was as bad a loss as some people <clears throat> gave it credit for. Mm-hmm. I think Arkansas is a really tough place to play, a tough style for Indiana because they don't have necessarily great ball handlers, and Arkansas is just going to blitz you with a press. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they kind of sleepwalked through two home wins over UC Arlington and UC Davis. And the UC Davis game, they trailed for much of that one yep. and pulled away late. Um, I, I think I think they'll hang in early, but Duke's probably a little bit too much. Just their guards are, are they're they're just so athletic. And Indiana's a young team. I think it's just it's it's a challenge to be as to to be as disciplined as you need to be to beat Duke. Because we saw in that Duke and Zaga game that the way you can handle Duke, especially early, and Duke figured it out late, was to uh, to really stop Duke from getting anything in transition. Just mm-hmm. slow, make make them win in the half court. And, and if RJ and, and Zion can beat you in the half court and pick and roll, that's okay. But we're not going to get beat by those two guys in transition. Uh, Gonzaga really did a good job in that game of pre- preventing um, Duke from getting out and going. I think Indiana might struggle to do that, especially mm-hmm. uh, as the game goes on, because they're not super deep and they're not super experienced. Yeah, you know, a couple things here. Gonzaga was able to match, maybe not match, but at least compete athletically in the front court with with guys like Zion. I mean, Brandon Clark is a freak himself. Um, and the other thing that I'm seeing in this game is a matchup that is really key for me is Trey Jones against Robert Finnessy. I mean, that's that's way in Duke's favor, in my opinion. Trey Jones, I think, is one of the most underrated point guards in the country because of who he's playing with. But... Uh, not great at the line, but efficient. Doesn't shoot a lot of threes, but the ones he does shoot, he makes. Um, yeah, I, I think, like you said, Indiana, I think, hangs around for a little bit, but Duke you know, eventually imposes their will. <clears throat> um, yeah, completely agree. When, uh, you know, going into Wednesday night, this is interesting because everybody who listens to this podcast knows I'm a Georgia Tech fan. Everybody who listens to your podcast knows you're a Northwestern guy. You're actually a grad student at Northwestern, is that correct? I'm an undergrad, actually. Oh, you're an undergrad? Okay. Um, you know, Northwestern has, uh, you know, they got a player in AC Law that I really like, which, you know, AC Law was a recruit for G-Tech. You guys just beat us out for Robbie Barron again. Um, G-Tech on the road is one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, Northwestern, you know, they just underperformed against Fresno State a little bit the other day. I, I got Northwestern by a couple touchdowns in this game. Uh, this G-Tech team on the road is just not something I can get behind. I think it'll be closer than that just because I think Georgia Tech will find a way to make this a grinder. Mm-hmm. And Northwest, Northwestern is not a very good half-court offense right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still kind of figuring things out. They don't have a true point guard. Uh, they're, they're having Vic Law play some point guard. AJ Turner's playing a little point guard, the Boston College transfer. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're, and, and then they're kind of working in Ryan Greer, who's from Atlanta. Um, the the red, reclassified freshman, and then uh, Jordan Jordan Ash, a senior, who's not a very good player at all. Uh, <laughs> so they really have a, they don't really have a point guard. Uh, so so their offense at the half court has been really up and down. Fresno did a good job of forcing them to play in the half court, and with Vic Law in foul trouble, they really struggled. Uh, I think Northwestern will win this one. 
Uh, I think their defense is good enough to to really suffocate Georgia Tech, especially with the length that the Northwestern has. You know, six mm-hmm. seven Vic Law, six six Ryan Taylor, six seven AJ Turner, Derek Carden, seven three wingspan, Miller Cop six seven, Pete Nance is six ten. I think they're super long, and I think that'll be a real challenge for a Georgia Tech team that that's a little bit on the small side mm-hmm. in the backcourt. Um, but I think I think it's probably like an eight to twelve point win for Northwestern. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, I'm looking forward to seeing James Banks match up with Derek Pardon. Um, I think that's a, that's a pretty good matchup as far as the quality of big that they both are. You know, Alvarado, we may have an advantage at the point guard slot because he is who he is. But uh, you know, Michael DeVoe is going to have to bring it. Curtis Hayward's going to have to have to shoot the ball well. Um, you know, just just on the road. This is a young team, not a lot of experience. They like to foul. Um, yeah, yeah, twelve twelve sounds right to me. Um, Georgia Tech just they're not they're not there yet. They're trying to get there. They're just having a lot of problems on the recruiting trail. And they did play Tennessee tough in Knoxville. They covered the spread on that, only lost by thirteen. You know, it's a top eight team. So I, I could be a little bit more dramatic because it's my team, but I, I still like Northwestern at home. Um this this game, this next game's really interesting to me. Syracuse um going to Columbus. Obviously the Orange have been disappointing thus far. Uh Frank Howard probably won't play, I can't imagine. And I'm not sure about Pasquale Chukwu, uh, and he was injured in the last game they had. Ohio State uh, playing well early. Chris Holtman continues to get uh, the best he can out of the roster that he has. With the way that Syracuse is currently playing, I mean, they trailed Colgate almost the whole first half the other day, eventually winning by 21. On the road, this isn't a Syracuse team I'm ready to take on the road. Uh, I got Ohio State here by just a little bit. Yeah, I have Ohio State as well. This game is a chance to be pretty ugly. Ohio State... Isn't, isn't super dynamic on the offensive end, but they're playing really good defense. And uh, Chris Holtman's, Holtman's an excellent coach. I think C.J. Jackson's going to make some plays for them. I, I do think it's kind of, kind of an interesting matchup for Ohio State because one of the ways they do like to create offense is through Caleb Wesson in the post. He's mm-hmm. kind of a bruising big guy. Uh, and I don't know how many post-ups they'll be able to get for him and against the zone. I think uh, the length that Syracuse has could, could, could bother him a little bit. But at the same time, I don't, I don't think Syracuse will be consistent enough on the offensive end. They've, they've just looked like their same old self from last year early yeah. on the season. I think that's the frustrating thing uh, for, for Syracuse fans is that when you watch this team, I mean, Elijah Hughes is a difference maker type player on the offensive end. It's nice. But at, overall, they're still just an inefficient offense shooting a lot of mid-range jumpers with Tyus Battle and O'Shea Brissett. I mean, O'Shea Brissett is 6'8 and jacked. And he refuses to go bang in the post or go up, go up strong. And um, when he goes up to the to to the rim, I mean, it's so frustrating to watch O'Shea Brissett play. I think this team really needs to kind of look itself in the eye and go Ohio State finds a way, uh, probably by ten to twelve points. Yeah, I, you know, Brissett. I, I mentioned it earlier today. Um, even in the high post, you don't got to work on the block with your back to the basket. Get in the high post. You can take little short jumpers, or you can get going to the rim. Um, both of which probably plays to your strengths. But you know, I think somebody's in his ear about what he needs to do in the NBA level, and and that's what he's auditioning for. And unfortunately, I think he's just exposing himself to what he's not good at. And you know, I, hopefully Syracuse gets it right because with the talent they have on this team, when everybody's healthy, you know, it's an elite eight team. Um, unfortunately, they're just what they're doing on offense just isn't working. Um, Miami hosting Rutgers. I don't have a whole lot to say on this game. I haven't watched Rutgers play at all this year. I'll be quite honest. Uh, Miami has shot the ball well this year, certainly better than in years past. Uh, Chris likes looking like a you know like a killer. Zach Johnson coming off the bench as a spark plug, scoring very well. Uh, I got Miami in this by a lot. Yeah, Miami handles business here. Uh, t- tough road trip for Rutgers who. 
Rutgers has been the last several years has been trying to be good enough to win all their bye games and lose all the games they're supposed to lose and then steal one or two games. Yeah. And in, in this season, they've won all their bye games, but they got hammered against St. John's at home in a game that there was a lot of excitement going in because they looked so good in their first two or three ball games, and then they just really struggled. So um, I, I think Miami's just too much athletically. Uh, likes is so good. I watched them a little bit against Fresno the other day. I was pretty impressed. I was pretty impressed with Fresno, but I was pretty impressed with Miami. I think Miami takes care of business by by 15. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, interesting matchup for me. I'm not sure if it's a great one as much as it's just interesting is one that you mentioned. Virginia going on the road to Maryland. Maryland, again, a team that I have not seen this year. Um, I have watched Virginia virtually every game. They're one of my favorite teams to watch, just how they execute on the court. Uh, Ty Jerome, DeAndre Hunter, uh, Kyle Guy, the way that they run off screens, fade to the corner, curl, you know, their execution is phenomenal. And now they've got this Kei Clark kid who comes in who allows Jerome to play off the ball. Again, I haven't seen Maryland play, but I think Virginia probably gets it by 8 to 12. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's about right. I think Maryland at home is always a tough tough place to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Maryland has kind of sleepwalked through their non-con so far. Um, they, they played a lot of they, they played all by games except for a uh, road game against Navy as part of, I think the legend, like one of the, uh, it's that, that yearly game, two games at, mm-hmm. at Annapolis. Uh, and, and they keep playing close games in the first half and letting a team sneak into the lead early in the second, then blowing them out late. Um, and Mar- Marshall was finally their first complete performance on Friday. Uh, I'm interested to see how they handle a game of Virginia of the magnitude of a Virginia game. I think they'll hang in early. They have good size. Um, but to, to me, uh, Virginia's experience and, and their talent level is just too high. They win this one going away. Uh, and then we get into, I think, probably the best two matchups. Um, late Wednesday, uh, Purdue gets another shot at the ACC after falling in the Charleston Classic to Virginia Tech. They go down to Tallahassee to take on a Florida State team that I've been very impressed with. I thought, you know, to get that game at LSU or against LSU at the Advocare Invitational was big for me. Um, they beat Florida earlier in the year. Uh, Tallahassee, I think, is one of the more underrated places to play as far as home court advantage in the ACC, let alone the country. I, I got FSU, but by, no, no, two to four points, the slimmest of margins. Yeah, I have Florida State as well. I mean, I was, I was, I've, I've been more impressed than I expected to be mm-hmm. with, with Purdue. I thought Purdue was was a team where I thought Carson Edwards was just going to have to shoulder the load and they're just going to kind of hover as a bubble team. They've looked a little better than that. I really pushed Virginia Tech, as you mentioned, in that game. And their offenses looked pretty dynamic as well, which has been pretty uh, surprising to yeah. me. Um, but yeah, Florida State has been so impressive. They're just they look they have the look of a team that knows how to win games. And the LSU game was a perfect example. LSU a very young team. Uh, I mean, Tremont Tr- Waters is a sophomore, but then all these freshmen. Right. I think Florida State just experience showed out late in that game. Uh, Trent Forrest has been terrific. Terrence Mann's been solid. And, I mean, to think that they're doing all of this without Phil Kofer, it, this is a legit Final Four contender to me. I think I think Florida State wins by maybe eight. Um, were you able to watch the majority of that Florida State uh, LSU game? I I probably watched the final five minutes and then overtime, so I didn't watch okay. a ton just because I was you know busy with stuff. Yeah, it was it was definitely impressive to watch that little end. I just I wanted to I wanted to get your opinion on the officiating in the first half, but it was definitely something that you would have had to have seen to believe. Uh, there was some some nonsense that happened in the first half, but um, 
either way, the the crown jewel to this challenge this year is uh, UNC going to Ann Arbor to take on Michigan. Michigan is probably the team that has impressed me the most early in the season as far as what my expectations were. The way they play defense is incredible. Uh, Kobe White has been absolutely on fire lately. Uh, Nasir Little, his points per minutes played right now, is off the charts. Um, this is this is easily the best matchup of the entire the entire matchup. I have Michigan winning at home, um, but again, I could see this being like an overtime game where they somebody makes a free throw with half a second left to win it. I think this is going to be a fantastic game. Yeah, it's going to be a complete grinder. Uh, I think Michigan just their defense is so good, and all the credit for that has to go to Luke Yaklich, who's their uh, lead assistant coach and. I would call him like their defensive coordinator. He's mm-hmm. in charge of the scout for every defensive uh, of every opponent they play. And I mean, you watch how they executed against Villanova, two other games this season and last year during the run. I mean, just so impressive, uh, just his ability to you know, to scheme against teams. I think he'll scheme really well against North Carolina. Uh, you'll have them ready to go. And I think Michigan finds a way in this game. Uh, they ju- they have just enough scoring talent between Jordan Poole, Ignis Brezbikis, uh, Charles Matthews, even Isaiah Livers, who's been more impressive than I expected him to be. I mean, they have enough scoring talent where they can just ride this defense game in and game out. and It's one of the best, if not the best, defense in the country. Yeah, I absolutely agree. The 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 Brezikis kid is, and I'm sure I didn't say his name correctly, but um, is one of the most surprising players. I saw him when G-Tech was on him early in the recruiting cycle when he was starting to pop a little bit. And um, and I, I knew he'd be good eventually. I didn't know he'd be this good this fast. Um, so wrapping this up, I've got I've actually got. And I hate this. By the way, Wake Forest is the only team that's not participating in this year's classic, which the ACC always has one team sit out, and we're better off not having to watch Wake Forest play. Um, so I've got uh, the the Big Ten, the ACC Big Ten Challenge coming out as a tie, seven to seven. Kev, you actually got them as eight and six in favor of the ACC. Um, you know, a lot of these games I can see going either way. I think we're in for in for a really good challenge. Was there anything else you uh, you had to say about it? Yeah, I, I think it'll just be really tight. I mean, for me, coming into the year, I would have definitely said the ACC is a better league mm-hmm. than the Big Ten. Uh, the thought with the Big Ten was a lot it was a lot deeper than it was in the last couple of years, but doesn't have the, maybe the elite teams. And they've shown Michigan State's look really good. Michigan's look really good. And, and then those mid-pack teams we thought could be solid have looked better than solid, perhaps. You know, Purdue, all the way down to like an Iowa I mean, I, I think the league is really good, and it's going to be a really fun challenge because the ACC, as always, is an, an excellent, an excellent conference. But the Big Ten, I mean, so, some some ranking uh, outlets, you know, uh, Bart Torvik's rankings, a T ranker, have, have the Big Ten actually the number one conference in college basketball thus far. They were certainly impressive in the Gavit game. I think it's mm-hmm. been a really, really fun couple of days of basketball yeah i'm really looking forward to it um kevin i thank you for coming on uh, i know your time is tight so i'll uh, i'll get you out of here but i really appreciate you coming on and giving me your thoughts and uh, letting us know what's going on in the big ten no problem thanks for having me it's always good to talk boots all right man have a good one see you